Nothing is more important than getting together to share. Oshin had fallen under a fairy spell and did not hear his father's cry. He was moving that cake so close to my nose and eating it. Oh, I got even more mad. I wasn't going to apologize. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers to warm your heart, lift your spirit, and give flight to your imagination. I'm Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me every time that you tune in and bring these stories into your home and into your heart. If you're the kind of person who prefers animal stories, we've got a story from Bill Harley called Come On Out and Play. It's a story about a cheerful bear who invites all of his crabby neighbors to an all-night full moon dance party. If you love Legends from long ago, tales of magic will bring you from Brian Fox Ellis, a story called O'Shane and his journey to the mysterious island of Tirnanog. It's an ancient Irish legend that you'll love. And if you like family stories, we'll bring you something from Antonio Sacre, a story about growing up with little brothers. Siblings can be ruthless, of course, but it always leads to a good story. This one is called Water Torture. And we've even got a little something for you today about Oreo cookies, if you, like me, are fond of them. And we're going to begin with a story from Bill Harley. In this story, as we said, there's a friendly bear who wants nothing more than to invite all of his pals and all of his neighbors to an all-night full moon dance party in the woods. It's Bill Harley with Come On Out and Play on the Appleseed. Once a month, Bear couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep because it was a full moon, and something about a full moon just wouldn't let him sleep. Something in him wanted to get out and have a party. And so that's what Bear decided to do. I'm going to have a party. huh? All his friends would come and they would dance because Bear loved to dance. He went to his friend's house and invited them one by one. And on the way, he made up a song that he was going to use at the party. Come on out and play with me, huh? Come on out now, can't you see? The moon will shine until it's day. So come on out and play. Come on out and play. Stupid idea, said his brother. Ridiculous. No one's going to come. Animals are too sensible for that sort of thing. No one wants to stay up all night like you do. They've never done it before. They'll never do it now. Bear shook his head and said, you never know what might happen, do you? He talked to the dogs and the coyotes and the wolves. Hey, you guys, come on out and play with me. Oh, no way, bad idea, said Coyote. It'll never work. I'll do it, but you'll never get the other animals to come, especially my cousins, the dogs. They sleep inside all night. They don't do anything anymore except beg for doggy biscuits. He didn't care. He talked to the moose. Hey, Moose, come on out and play with me. Me, said Moose, me come to your party. I'm much too busy for that. More important things to do. Nothing is more important than getting together to share. Noble idea, but not very practical. You never know what might happen, Moose. And he went on and on, inviting one animal after another. Come on out and play with me. Well, all the birds agreed that they didn't want to stay up all night, since most of them had to work the next morning. Never, they chirped. Forget it, no one will come. Bear said, 
you never know what might happen. He talked to the crickets, the June bugs, and the bees. Hey, come on out and play with me. Buzz off, they all said. Bear went home. His brother met him and said, Hey, what's happening with your party? No one's coming, are they? Bear said, You never know. I'm having a party, even if only one animal comes. And I'm an animal, and I'm coming. The night of the party, the sun went down. Bear stepped outside of his den into the clearing where the party was going to be. It grew darker and darker as Bear waited for someone to come. But no one came. Bear sat and waited, and still no one came. Finally, he sighed to himself, oh, They're all late. I guess the party will just have to start without them. And Bear began to dance around the clearing, singing, Come on out, play with me, huh? Come on out now, can't you see? The moon will shine until it's day. So come on out and play. Come on out and play. Meanwhile, below ground, the Fox family was trying to get their kids in bed. But the earth shook. What's that shaking? Who's doing that? Listen to that noise up there. Who's making it? They all piled out of the hole, only to find Bear right above them, singing and dancing. Come on out and play with me. Fox said, oh, look at that bear. No one's at his party. He's still having it. One of the kid foxes said, yeah, and he's having a good time, too. And at that moment, who should come through the clearing but Wolf on his way to his cousin's house, Coyote. He saw Bear dancing in the clearing and the Fox family watching. Hey, he said, I forgot all about this party. <laughs> Hiya, Fox. I'm kind of surprised to see you here. How come you're not dancing? Fox said, I'm just watching, really. And Wolf sat down and watched. When Bear saw them, he kept dancing, but he said, I'm glad you're here. You never know what might happen, do you? If you're hungry, there's refreshments in the house. I'm busy with the party. And he went on dancing. All the noise woke up the moose who had been bedded down for the night. He stomped into the clearing. Uh, excuse me, uh, what is the meaning of this? I don't remember any party being mentioned. This is my party, said Bear. I invited you, don't you remember? Oh, your party, I'd forgotten. You'd probably like me to join in, wouldn't you? And Moose came in on bass. Boom, 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 boom. While the singing and the dancing woke up the birds and the trees, they looked down and started to talk among themselves. Look at that, will ya? People came. I would have planned on coming, but I didn't think it would work. Well, we're up. It doesn't look like it's going to stop. We might as well check it out. Maybe there's something to eat. And the birds flew down, and a quartet of sparrows sat on a branch right above Bear, who kept on singing. Hey, Bear, they said, you want some help? Sure, said Bear, and the sparrows joined in. Look out for the rabbits, yelled Bear, because the rabbits were arriving by the dozens. Some of them had visited a nearby farm and brought along things for the vegetable plate. Bear started singing again, but before he could start to dance, the rabbits had filled up the dance floor, so Bear just sang along with the moose. Boom, 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 boom. 
and the birds. Come on along and play with me. Come on now, now can't you see? Well, all this time, the crickets and their friends had been right outside the forest in the nearby field doing their work. But when they heard the noise, they hopped right over and joined in on percussion. He said one porcupine with everybody singing and dancing. How'd you get such a swinging party? You never know what might happen, said Bear. I think it's because of the moon. What moon? That one, look. All the animals looked up, and for a moment, there was complete silence because the moon was full. It was so close to them, it seemed that it was hanging right there in the treetops, looking down. Hello there, moon, said the bear. Nice night you picked to be full, not too dark like some other nights. And the moon rose just a little, just a little bit in the sky, and it turned ever so slightly. And it answered back, Yes, bear, nice night for a party. And it headed higher into the sky. The animals looked at the bear. They were speechless. Bear shrugged his shoulders. You never know. And then he started to sing and dance. Come on out, play with me. Come on out now, can't you see? The moon will shine until it's day. Come on out. Come on out. And everyone joined him. They danced all night. They ate all the food. They drank all the drinks. They danced until their paws were sore. And then they went and they danced some more. They danced until the moon had crossed the sky. And then one of the birds called out a new tune. And one by one, all the other birds began to call out, louder and louder in a new song, a song that called the day. Party's over, said Bear. Thanks for coming. And he headed towards his den. Hey, Bear, said Raccoon, what about the dishes and stuff? Aren't you going to clean it up? Leave it. I'll do it later. It's my party. And Bear went to bed. Well, Bear got up late that morning. He spent most of the day cleaning his house and sweeping the clearing. Later on, he stopped over to his brother's house. Wow, said his brother. I've never seen anything like last night. All that dancing, all those animals, and the moon. No one, no one has ever heard the moon speak before. Could you believe it? Bear smiled and hummed. <laughs> you never know what might happen, do you? Come on out and play with me. Come on out now, can't you see? The moon will shine until it's day. So come on out and play. Come on out and play. The storyteller and songwriter Bill Harley with Come On Out and Play, a story about a cheerful bear who invites all of his crabby neighbors to come on out and play for an all-night full-moon dance party. That may remind you of stories about trying to get folks to come to parties you've thrown or parties you've gone to. And those memories, of course, are worth sharing. Always a pleasure to share a Bill Harley tale here on The Appleseed. A great beginning to a great hour. Coming up, you're going to hear Brian Fox Ellis with O'Shane in the Isle of Tirnanog, an ancient Irish 
Irish legend that you're going to love, and you'll hear a family story from Antonio Sacre that you won't want to miss. I'm Sam Payne, and we'll see you in a minute. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you today on The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago you heard a story from Bill Harley, a story about a cheerful bear, a story called Come On Out and Play. There are so many reasons for me to love that story. Only one of them is that the bear is kind of the animal I most identify with. If my friends and family had to pick an animal with which to identify me, the bear is for sure the one they'd pick. And kind of like the bear in Bill Harley's story, cheerful and friendly and always ready for an all-night full moon dance party. Coming up, we're going to hear a story from Brian Fox Ellis, O'Shane and the Isle of Tir Nanog. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you can share with the people that you love, here's a memory of mine. It has to do with Oreo cookies and my grandma's kitchen. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. My grandpa Payne, my dad's dad, was pretty free with treats. He always had a bag of lemon drops in the glove compartment of his car. We were as free to as many as we wanted. He brought home a 10-pound bar of milk chocolate once, and any time we asked, he'd take a kitchen knife and whack off a hunk of chocolate, send us happily off with it. There was always a jar of ribbon candy on top of the big cabinet television in the living room, and it was always full. That was my grandpa. My grandma was a little different. She always had a well-stocked treat cabinet, but it wasn't just an indiscriminate feed whenever we wanted it. We'd get a cookie every now and then after a meal or when we'd finished helping Grandma with a chore or after we'd read a book. You know how it goes. Treats were rewards, rationed out little by little. That was Grandma. We visited Grandma and Grandpa only a few times a year. They lived far away from us, and sometimes in the summer and sometimes at Christmas we'd make the drive to El Monte, California, where my dad grew up, and we'd stay for a week or so. And I remember one day, during a summer visit, the rest of the family had gone off to, oh, I don't know where, and left me alone at the house with my Grandma, and I was, oh, let's say six years old. And I was sitting at the kitchen table, drawing with crayons or something. And my grandma was, oh, I don't know where. She wasn't in the kitchen. And in the silence of the kitchen, I thought of the treat cabinet. And it was a pretty persistent thought. And soon, I was going over there to the treat cabinet. And not long after that, I'd pulled a full package of Oreo cookies out of that cabinet. And I opened the package and took a cookie out. Just one, just one cookie. And I put the package back, and I took the cookie back to the table, and, oh man, that cookie was just what the doctor ordered. I'd have one more, right? Okay, just one more. So I went back to the cabinet for another cookie, and two trips to the cabinet later, I thought, wouldn't it just be easier if I brought the package of cookies to the table? It had saved me some trips, right? And then the package of Oreo cookies was on the table next to me, open. 
And it was inevitable, right? You saw it coming a mile away. Indiscriminate, unbridled cookie consumption. Consumption, but not much crunching and not many crumbs because, and maybe you know someone like this too, I wasn't interested in the cookie parts. I was only interested in the cream filling parts. So, cookie by cookie, I'm downing the cream filling centers of these Oreos and I'm stacking the cookie parts in little towers next to me. And a little city of Oreo cookie towers grew up around my cream-filling eating project. When I started, this family-sized package of Oreo cookies had been completely full, brand new, unopened. I had broken the seal. And now I was licking the cream-filling from the very last Oreo in the package. I had eaten them all. And I was ready to place the last cookie on the last cookie tower. And at that moment, into the kitchen, walked my grandma. I had forgotten she was in the house. Heck, I think it's safe to say that in my cookie binge, I had forgotten she existed. But now, here she was, the treat rationer. And there I was, the wreckage of an entire package of Oreo cookies littering the table around me. There was no escape. There wasn't time to reverse the damage, no chance to turn back the clock or replace the cookies with a new package. There was only time for a little six-year-old spin, and I had to think fast. The inevitable question came from my startled grandmother. Uh, what's going on in here? And in a moment... I threw the only Hail Mary pass I could think of. Well, Grandma, I thought you might like some cookies after whatever work you've been doing in the other room. Thought I might like some cookies? My grandma said it over the rims of her glasses. Uh, yeah, I said. But I didn't think you liked the cream filling, so I did you the favor of eating the cream filling. Here I gestured with a flourish to the stacks of cookie discs on the table. And, as you can see, I saved the best parts for you. You're welcome. But it didn't work exactly as I hoped. She didn't believe me, but she did begin to laugh. In fact, she was still laughing when my mom and dad got back to the house. So, I guess that in the end, everything was just Fine. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Coming up in just a moment, an ancient Irish legend about O'Shane and the island of Tirnanog. What is the island of Tirnanog? Well, if you don't know, you're going to find out from the great uh, Illinois storyteller Brian Fox Ellis with roots in the Emerald Isle. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the films that we choose to see, the books that we treasure, the meals that we share, the songs that we remember, and of course, through the tales that we tell, passed from teller to listener, sometimes over generations and generations. And talking about the ways that great stories get down into us is something that we love to do here on The Appleseed with Friends. We're pleased to be joined today by the great Minnesota storyteller, Kevin Kling, And, Kevin, it's such a pleasure to have you with us. 
That's great being here, Sam. Thanks. You know, you never know uh, what kind, well, you never know what's going to spark a memory and you never know what kind of memory it's going to spark. That is for sure. And we we chatted for just a moment before the mics went hot here about uh, about a couple of different books. One of them by Ambrose Bierce. Tell us a yeah. little bit about it. Well, it's it's a it's a book called Such Can Such Things Be, and it's his ghost stories. And I was camping with my wife years ago, and we were up in way up in Canada. And I brought that book, thinking, "Oh, in the middle of the night, let's really get scared." And so I opened the book and I read so. We are so scared. We couldn't sleep. We couldn't even have the book in the tent with us. We had to sleep with the book outside the tent. I mean, that thing scared us so bad. I don't even know where that book is. And I don't care. I mean, it, 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 it just really knocked us up for a loop. And, uh, and so, the, the, yeah, scary stories always had a place in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my, my wife, every year she has an October birthday and every year she has a party in which she invites dear ones over and their instruction is not to bring any food, not to bring any gifts, but to bring a story about a time when they were scared. And, oh, uh, and, and what we, a great idea. And we, we have the same trouble sleeping at night, as you can imagine, oh, after that, after that party's it, over. It just doesn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got a scary story or two. I do, but this is a story because my dad professed to be a, a, a scary storyteller, yeah. but it was pretty self-professed. <laughs> he was the worst <laughs> scary storyteller I ever heard in my life. And so this is a story based on my dad's, uh, and also, but I would be totally scared because of my imagination would run yeah. away with it. So it worked just perfect, but he was terrible and I had too big of an imagination. So we get a letter in the mail. And it's at the end of the school year. And my mom looks at the letter and she turns to my brother and she goes, Stephen, do you know anything about this letter? And he releases carbon dioxide. No. She says, Stephen, it says here that you didn't finish one of your classes and you have to take summer school. And I could tell by the look on his face, summer and school should never be in the same sentence. And he's like, <laughs> oh, no. And she said, you have to go to North. Norwegian camp. It's the last thing open. So my brother <laughs> has to go to Norwegian camp that summer. And uh, he says, I can't, I can't go. My mom says, you're going. My mom, when she said, you're going, you're going. I mean, my mom could have ruled a country, but she picked our family instead. So when she said, you're going, that's, that was it. So my brother gets on a bus the next day and he, and it drives away. This is when I realized this was the first day of my life without my brother. I'd never I'd never known a day without him. And so I, I said, dad, dad, I, I want to go to Norwegian camp. My dad said, no, Kevin, he goes, look, I'll take you camping. So my dad we got in the backyard and he put a big old blanket over the clothesline. We put our blankets and our pillows and everything in there and a flashlight. And, and then, he, and then I go, dad, you got to tell me a story. And he goes, what, what do you mean? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah a story. And he goes like a fairy tale. No. A scary it's got to be scary and it's got to be true and he goes scary and true and i go yeah and he goes all right he said kevin you know we got this property cheap because it used to be owned by an asylum for people with criminal aptitude oh i did not know that yeah that's right and then the most dangerous of all the inmates escaped before it burnt down he was a man called the collector why the collector? Because he collected things. 
What kind of things? Odds and ends. People, odds and ends? No, no, like pieces of wire and two by fours. No, people, no, no. He said, but you can always hear him coming because you hear clump, clump, scratch, clump, clump, scratch. Why clump, clump, scratch? Because of the radiator still chained to his, his eye? No, his eye, no, no, his leg, his eye, no. No, what did we raise here? No, no, Kevin. But there was this family, happy-go-lucky family, mom, dad, kids. And one day, what, what? They were gone. Murdered? No, they moved away. But in their garage, they found a cookbook, 30-minute meals for people with criminal aptitude. So we know he's in the area somewhere. Oh, no. And there's one thing he can't stand. What's that? Bug spray. Bug spray, but I put on bug spray. You did? Yes, you saw me. You saw me put on bug spray. He said, oh, no, we're in big trouble. There's only one thing that'll keep the collector away. What's that? What's that? He said, marshmallows. We have marshmallows. He said, we do. Yes, in the house. And graham crackers and chocolate. Yes, yes, we have all that. He goes, quick, go get it. I'll build a fire. So my dad built a fire. And I went and got the marshmallows, graham crackers, and, and, and chocolate. And we made what he called s'mores which he said actually stands for secret methods of repelling evil. And you know what? It really works because we didn't see the collector the entire night. <laughs> the story of the collector, a campfire story of the first order shared with us by Kevin Kling from his home in Minnesota. Kevin, what a pleasure to have had you with us today to talk Thanks, not Sam. only about scary stories and reading Ambrose Bierce, but also <laughs> us also a story about dads and brothers, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. My dad, I just, he, I, I mean, in an accidental way, he was the best storyteller in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been a pleasure to chat with Kevin Kling. Kevin, thanks for joining us on the Appleseed. Thanks, Sam. Great stories come in so many ways, and such a pleasure to chat with the wonderful storyteller Kevin Kling from Minnesota, his home. And uh, speaking of stories about brothers, there's one coming up from Antonio Sacre, a story called Water Torture. But first, in just a moment, we're going to hear a story from Brian Fox Ellis, O'Shane and the Isle of Tirnanog. It's coming up. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you with me today on The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, we heard from Bill Harley at the top of the hour with a story called Come On Out and Play, a story about a cheerful bear who invites his neighbors out for an all-night dance party under the moon. And up next, we've got a story from Brian Fox Ellis. Now, in this story, you'll hear reference to a place called Aran, homeland of the main character, Oshin. He's referring to the three islands of Aran off the coast of Ireland, where Oshin is said to be from. Oshin is an old folk hero in Ireland, and this story is an old Irish legend. And the storyteller, again, is Brian Fox Ellis, and he began telling stories when he was very young. He and his pals would climb a mulberry tree and eat berries until their tongues were purple, telling tales, tall tales tales and true tales both. Now, Brian Fox Ellis loves to tell stories from his 
heritage, his Irish heritage. And this story comes from a collection of those stories. It's a collection called Under an Irish Oak. Here's Brian Fox Ellis with O'Shane and the Island of Tirnanog on the Appleseed. O'Sheen was a son of Finn McCool. Finn McCool was one of the greatest warriors that Aaron ever knew, and a poet too. Now, O'Sheen's favorite thing was hunting with horse and hound. And early one morning, as he was riding along with his favorite hounds, Bran and Skew, they came upon the scent of a deer. They followed the tracks of this deer, and when they came to the top of a hill in the valley, they saw the most beautiful snow-white fawn. The hounds gave chase. O'Sheen rode his horse as rapidly as he could through bog and fen, over hill and dale. And every time they came around a bend, the, the fawn would disappear. The hounds would put their nose to the ground. And off they'd go again until finally they came down to a quiet bay along the coast of the sea. And they saw the white deer as it leapt into a bush. And in that very moment, a fairy mist blew in from the sea and everything disappeared. And in the next moment, another breeze and the fairy mist was gone. And where there once stood this white fawn, there was a snow-white stallion with gold and silver braided into its mane and tail. And standing beside it was the most beautiful woman that O'Sheen had ever seen. Her long hair trailed nearly to the ground behind her. She had a crown upon her head. She was wearing an emerald green gown embroidered with rubies and pearls. Now O'Sheen, who loved the old stories, he knew who she was. He recognized her instantly. He had often lay abed at night dreaming of Neve, the princess of the fairy realm. So when she spoke, introducing herself, he was not surprised. O'Sheen! We have watched you grow from a strapping young buck to such a handsome young man. And nothing would make me so happy, she said, as to make you my man. Will you come with me to Tir Nanog, the Isle of the Ever Young, where the rivers flow with milk and honey? When you are hungry, a feast shall appear. Will you come with me to the fairy realm? the land of the ever young. Will you be my husband? She said. Now, let me pause here and ask all of you if the most gorgeous girl in the world asked you to go with her to the land of the ever young, Ternanog, where you could live forever. How many of you would say yes? Why, of course. O'Sheen leapt down off his horse. He crossed the strand and he fell to one knee beside her. He said, I have dreamed of this day. Nothing would make me so happy. I would love to go. She climbed back onto the horse and offered him her hand. He climbed onto the stallion behind her. And just in that moment, 
Finn McCool, his father, and the Fianna came into the bay. When Finn saw his son getting onto this horse, he cried out, No! Don't go! For I fear if you leave, I'll never see you again! But it was too late. Oshin had fallen under a fairy spell and did not hear his father's cry. The horse turned itself towards the sea and shook itself three times as it leapt from sand to surf, its silver-clawed hooves touching the crest of each white-capped wave as it raced across the sea faster than the wind at its back, faster than I could tell you and faster than you could tell me, <laughs> until in the distance Oshin saw the Isle of the Ever-Young Tirnanog rose up from the sea, and even at this great distance he could see flocks of birds darken the sky, huge herds of beasts roaming on the hillside. The fish fairly leapt from sea to shore, and once more the horse shook itself three times as it leapt from sea to sand. It crossed the strand and entered a grand boulevard. Oshin saw mighty giants barring the way, lining both sides of the road, but being a bit of a warrior himself, he knew, looking into their eyes, they were friend, not foe. When they recognized their princess, the giants parted and bowed. The horse rode across the cobblestone road towards the castle, the castle more glorious even than Tara. The drawbridge fell, the gates swung open, the horse rode swiftly across the cobblestone court where a small elfin man with pointed ears and pointed toes took the rein. Oshin leapt down and offered a hand to Neve. She climbed down beside him. The king and queen of the fairy realm and their courtiers were all awaiting the arrival. Oshin, welcome to the land of the ever young. Oshin, knowing a thing or two about court protocol, he crossed the court and he fell to one knee before the king and queen and he pleaded, Nothing would make me so happy as to call your daughter my bride. I ask for her hand in marriage. The king of the fairy realm grabbed the hand of Oshin and the hand of his daughter Neve. He pulled Oshin to his feet. He raised both hands together and said, Let no man tear asunder what the prophecies have foretold. May they live forever in peace and joy. And with a snap of his fingers, a band appeared, a feast was spread, and the celebration began. They danced and sang for nine days and nine nights, and every day the celebration was more glorious than the one before it. And Oshin fell into the deepest, truest, purest love. And Ternanog was even more glorious than the old stories had foretold. It was true that the rivers ran with milk and honey, and whenever he was hungry, a feast appeared before him. Whenever he was thirsty, a pint of ale was in his hand. He spent his days hunting with horse and hound. He spent his blessed nights in the arms of his true love, and time did not exist. Days swam into years, 
Early one morning, Oshina woke before the sun to, to go on a hunt. And just as the first rays of the morning light struck the meadow before him, there he saw the smallest shamrock, and there upon one leaf was a drop of dew. And as that drop formed and fell, that ray of light made the smallest rainbows gleam. And a tear formed and fell in the eye of Oshin, as he remembered Ireland, Aaron, his home, his family. If I were a lark in the morning, home in my heaven free, on the wings of the dawn I'd be soaring to Aaron across the sea. He rode back to his wife and begged to go home to see his father, his mother, his friends. Neve pleaded, If you go, I fear that you shall never return. But when she saw that she could not dissuade him, she said, The white stallion knows the way, but promise me this, you shall not dismount. Swear you will not get down off the horse. Please do not touch the earth, for if you do, you cannot return. Three times she asked, and three times he vowed, saying, I miss you now even before I leave. But he leapt upon the horse. The horse rode to the coast. It shook itself three times as it leapt from sand to sea and raced across the ocean back to Aaron, to Ireland. But as they approached, things seemed different. Oshin did not recognize his own boyhood home. As the horse leapt from sea to shore, he rode for hours without seeing anything that seemed familiar. He looked for his father's castle, and he could not find it. He saw an old woman working in the field, hoeing her garden. The once vibrant people of Ireland seemed poor and weak, withered. He said to the old woman, Where's Finn McCool, my father? <laughs> Finn McCool! <laughs> I remember the story my grandfather told me when I was a young lass. <laughs> it's been 300 years or more since Finn McCool has ruled Erin Shore. <laughs> and it dawned on him. A day in the other world was a year and thus. And what seemed like the year he'd been gone, more than 300 years had passed. Later in the day, he finally found the castle of Tara had fallen into ruins, thorn and thistle grown throughout. He saw two young men straining with the weight of a huge keg of ale. He rode close and with one hand grabbed the cask and tossed it into the back of the cart. But with the weight of the barrel, the strap on his saddle snapped. The saddle slid to the side, and Oshin tumbled to the ground. And in that moment, he aged 300 years. 
The two young men stared in disbelief as he went from being a strapping buck to a withered old bag of bones. And just then, bong, 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 the church bells chimed, for a new god had come to Ireland. O'Sheen fairly croaked, Take me <coughs> to the sacred crowd <coughs> for a proper burial. The young men lifted this withered bag of bones into the cart, and they took him to the cathedral of St. Patrick, where the holy saint himself greeted O'Sheen, and the two of them passed the night telling tales of the glory days of Erin. And the scribes of St. Patrick wrote down these stories so they could be passed on for generation to generation until eventually I could learn them and I could tell them to you so you could learn them too and tell them to your children and your children's children so a hundred years from now we'll still recall the glory days of Aaron. If I were a lark in the morning, home in my heaven free, on the wings of the dawn I'd be soaring to Erin across the sea. On the wings of the dawn I'd be soaring till Erin's fair shore I'd see. If I were a lark in the morning, home in my heaven free. Brian Fox Ellis with O'Shane and the Island of Tirnanog on the Appleseed. And our last story today is from Antonio Sacre, bilingual Cuban and Irish-American writer living in Los Angeles, longtime friend of the Appleseed. He's been on the show more than once, and he tells stories and writes books that focus on multicultural family dynamics. And this story is a family story about Antonio and his younger brother who fought frequently, maybe like you and your younger brother, for sure, like me and mom. And you'll find that the story called Water Torture actually becomes a humorous memory for these brothers. Here's Antonio Sacre's family story, Water Torture, on the Appleseed. I was born on September 23rd, 1968. My first birthday, my mom was in the hospital giving birth to twin boys. She came home carrying two ugly, stinky, bald, disgusting baby boys. My mom said she put them in the crib and I was so mad I looked up at her and I stood on her toe. My mom says that twins can communicate with each other even in the womb and my brothers were no exception. When they were in their little cribs, they would speak baby talk to each other and I would stand over their crib and I'd get so mad because the one brother, Henry, the oldest twin, would look at the younger and say, and Robert, the younger twin, would answer him back, and the two would have conversation for hours. I would get so mad, I'd say, mom, what are they saying? She'd say, they're talking baby talk, hon. Oh, I'd get so mad. And they knew it, because after a while, they'd look up at me and they'd say, and both would point at me and say, I'd get so mad. I would poke at them through the little crib bars. When they got out of the crib, that's when the trouble began. Because there was two of them and one of me, and they went after my toys. Oh, 
oh, I'd get so mad. I remember one day my brother Robbie, the youngest twin, grabbed my favorite toy, my fire truck. Uncle Tom was a fireman and he gave me that truck. You could pull the ladder out, open the little door and push the little horn. And when he got it, I got so mad, I chased him all around the house and trapped him in a corner. I looked down at him, I said, give me back my fire truck. He looked up at me, uh-uh. I said, give me back my fire truck. He said, no way. I said, give me back my fire truck. He had nowhere to run. He looked all around. All of a sudden, he pulled open his diaper and squoom, stuck the fire truck right in his diaper. Oh, I got so mad. I reached forward and ripped his diaper right off. He started to cry. Henry, the twin, connected at some level, started to cry too. He pulled his diaper right off. Then the two started to laugh. They both are running out the front door, down the street, naked as can be, just as my mom was coming home. And you know who got in trouble? I did. Ah, oh, I got so mad with my brothers. We fought all the time, but the day that we fought the worst was September 23rd, our birthday. If my mom bought us all different gifts, we would run after each other to get that gift and then we'd break it until we'd all have broken gifts. So my mom, to counteract that, had to buy the exact same gift for all three of us. And not only that, we had to open it up at the exact same time. If I got a shirt, they got a shirt, different size. If I got a toy, they got a toy, different color. And also, she began to make three birthday cakes for us. And we each were allowed to invite five friends from school, no more, no less, and all the neighborhood kids were invited. We didn't have to waste an invitation on them. And then all of our cousins. So we would have about 50 kids, mostly boys, running around the neighborhood on September 23rd. My mom said it never rained on September 23rd. And to this day, wherever my mother is, it doesn't rain. I remember the year that I was turning 10 years old, my brothers were turning nine, I got special privileges that year. And my privilege was I got to stay up one whole hour later than my brothers, and I used that hour wisely. I watched TV, lots of it. And the night before my birthday, I stayed up late and I watched this old black and white World War II movie. In it there was armies and tanks and planes and all kinds of things that I thought were really cool, and then there was a spy. But this was a real spy, not like James Bond. This spy went in and out of places, got secrets, sold secrets. I was so excited about that spy when all of a sudden, the spy got caught and he got tortured. They strapped him to this metal table. They pulled this water faucet over his head. They scientifically calibrated it so one drop of water would drop from that faucet every 60 seconds right between the spy's eyes. They had strapped his head and his arms down so he couldn't turn away. Now you may not think that's such bad torture, and the spy didn't either. He said, I'm not telling you anything. But after one hour of water torture, after two hours, three hours, not being able to drink the water, not being able to go to sleep, because every time he did, the drop would wake him up, not being able to turn his head, he began to shake. After 12 hours, after 24 hours, the spy was giving up everything he knew. He gave up things he didn't even know. And the next day was my birthday their birthday, September 23rd. And it was a really hot day that fall. So my mom decided that instead of playing all the games we used to play, which we love to play, tag and catch and Red Rover, Red Rover, where you join hands, send Robbie right over, that day we were gonna have a water balloon fight. Oh, it was excellent. My mom went to the hardware store. She bought a big bag of balloons, 500 multicolored balloons, and the three of us didn't fight that morning as we filled up those water balloons. We filled up balloon after balloon, and then when all our friends came, we spread the balloons out all over the neighborhood, under cars, next to bushes, on the steps, all over the place. And then the water balloon fight began, but it wasn't a water balloon fight. It was a water balloon 
war. It was excellent. There were balloons going everywhere. People were getting drenched. Adults were getting drenched. Dogs and cats were getting drenched. It was great. In the middle of that mayhem, I decided it was time for me to capture a spy. I tried to catch my friends, they were too fast. Tried to catch my brother Henry, he was too big. I caught my little brother Robbie, threw him on the ground. I put my knees on his elbows and spread his arms against the ground. I used to do that when I'd tickle him under the arms, but this time I got one of those water balloons. I untied the little knot. I held it high above my head, aimed it right between his eyes and said, Robbie, time for water torture. Right between the eyes. My brother looked up at me with his big brown eyes and said, Tony, I would really appreciate it if you would stop doing water torture on my head. Time for more water torture. At this point, my friends were nearby. They had seen the show too, and they were laughing. They knew what I was doing. My brother looked up at me and said, no, Tony, really. Mom always said whenever you aggravated me to ask you politely to please stop. Well, this is aggravating. Would you please stop? Time for more water torture. At this point, my brother's face turns bright red. I could see the water begin to bead on his forehead. The veins popped out of his wrists. He said, Tony, I'm asking you politely to please stop doing water torture on my... At this point, my brother Robbie's arm shakes so much. Now my life, in my memory at least, goes into slow motion. He squeezes his hand together. I find myself flying backwards up through the air. I land on my back in the middle of the street. Ow! My friends are laughing. Robbie gets up and runs in slow motion around the back of the house. Balloons are going everywhere. Then my life turns to normal motion. Laughter, balloons. Then Robbie comes back from around the house, slow motion again. Hands gripping a segment of the backyard fence that he ripped off. I could see the nails glinting in the sun, dirt hanging from the other end. I said, Mom! I went running inside, slammed the door, went to the safest place I could think of, the bathroom, and locked it, and I waited. I heard the front door open and slam shut. The little doorknob on the bathroom door started to tickle. I said, Mom, and he smashed the door open. There he stood, hands gripping that wood, nails glinting in the light of the bathroom mirror. He swung that board as hard as he could, just missed my head, and smashed it into the bathroom mirror. Glass went everywhere. My mom appears out of nowhere. Thank goodness. She picks up Robbie with her hand, lifts him in the air. His feet are dangling. I didn't know my mom was that strong. She said, do you want to kill your brother? My brother Robbie said, yes. My mom picked me up and brought us both into the kitchen, sat us down and said, now tell me what happened. And we both talked at the same time. He was trying to kill me with the board. He did water torture on my head. My mom said, be quiet. I don't care who did what. Let me see now. Tony, you did water torture on your brother's head. That was bad. Robbie, you tried to kill your brother with a board. That was bad. I want you both to apologize to one another. I'm not apologizing because he tried to kill me. I'm not apologizing because he did water torture first. My mom said, I don't care who apologizes when. Neither of you are getting any cake unless you each apologize. Now my mom's birthday cake is the most incredible cake in the world. It's so big and the frosting is so thick and it's, oh, it's so delicious. And we both looked at that cake and Robbie looked up at my mom with his big brown eyes. She said, don't you give me that look. He looked at me. I said, apologize. He looked at the cake. I knew that Robbie would crack first. I knew how much he loved that cake. I loved it too. He looked at me. He said, I'm sorry. Can I have some cake, Ma? 
She said, not unless you sincerely apologize. I said, yeah, sincerely apologize. My brother said, oh. But he looked back at that cake, looked back at my mom, looked at me, and he said, Tony, I wasn't really going to kill you with that board. I just wanted you to stop. But I'm sorry I did that. My mom said, very good, Robbie. You get a piece of cake. Robbie said, oh, thanks, Ma. And just as he put his fork into that amazing five-layer cake with all that frosting, brought that fork to his mouth, he looked at me and said, mm-hmm. your turn to apologize to me. Oh, I got so mad. I said, Mom, now he's making fun of me. My mom said, well, just apologize. I said, I'm not going to apologize. Robbie said, you going to apologize? He was moving that cake so close to my nose and eating it. Oh, I got even more mad. I wasn't going to apologize. He went outside, started to play. All the kids came in and got their cake. I sat there and sulked. Finally, that night, everybody was gone. It was just me and that cake and my mom. And my mom said, honey, when I was your age, I got in a fight with my older brother. And we fought for so long that we didn't talk. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to be good friends with your brother. It's important. But I didn't apologize. The next day, the same thing. And after about a week of not apologizing, my brother and I stopped talking. And then time passed and I had other friends and I got into junior high school, then high school. And eh, who needed a little brother anyway? When I turned 16, it was time for me to get a car. I got my little magical driver's license. I said, Ma, can you buy me a car? She said, Honey, you got to work for a car. We don't have that kind of money. So I did. I worked at the Lobster Shanty. I would clean dishes all summer long. I would come home smelling like fish and lobster and crab. It was disgusting. But by the end of the summer, I had saved $500, enough to buy a beater car. The car was falling apart, but I loved it. Every day it would fall apart, my brother Robbie would come out and he would fix it. He was always good at fixing the lawnmower, and he loved fixing my car, and even though we weren't friends, it was still nice that he was fixing my car, and then he began to teach me about the things he was doing, and little by little, through that old beater car, my brother and I began to speak again. I still didn't apologize, but at least we were talking. And as time passed, my brother turned 16 and he got his license, and he said, Tony, we've been friends for a while now, haven't we? I said, yeah, Robbie, we have. I said, well, do you think we're best friends? I said, no, we're not best friends, but we're good friends. He said, well, good friend, older brother of mine, can I borrow your car? I said, of course you can borrow my car, and we shared it. He would take it to work or to the movies. I would take it to school, whatever. And one day I was at my friend's house. When I came home, my mom was sitting in the kitchen. Usually she was in the living room, but this day she was in the kitchen. I said, Ma, what's up? She said, well, honey, Robbie's okay. He's upstairs. He smashed the car. He's okay, though. He's, he's worried you're going to kill him. Honey, don't kill him. I walked up the stairs. I thought about every single dish I had to clean to get that car. I thought about how I'd had no way to get to school, how now all my friends were going, oh, so mad. I opened up his door, walked into his room, and there he was asleep on his little bed. He had been crying in his sleep, and on his forehead was this big red bump. I shook him awake. He looked up at me. He started crying again. He said, Tony... Are you going to kill me? I said, Robbie, were you wearing a seatbelt? He pointed to his head. No, how'd you think I got this? I said, Robbie, you weren't wearing a seatbelt. You smashed the car that I washed millions of stupid, fishy dishes for. You know what that means? Robbie said, what? I said, it's time for water torture. (laughs) Robbie started to laugh. 
and we made a promise to each other to always wear a seatbelt after that. And even though I never did get another car, who knows, maybe someday I will, I do have a best friend, and that's my little brother, Robbie. Antonio Sacre with a story called Water Torture, a story about Antonio and his brother. Now, before we go, we want to let you know that we're running a kind of a campaign here on the Appleseed, along with the other programs produced by BYU Radio. It's a service campaign. With our listeners, we want to complete 10,000 acts of service in September and October. For details, you can go to byuradio.org slash service. Service. You'll find out more there, and you'll even find a way that you can share with us some of the things that you're doing. And uh, we'd love to hear about it again. Go to byuradio.org service. I'm Sam Payne. Can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.